Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Now, today, I thank God for the conversation that I bring because it has been on my heart for quite a long time. It's one of those things that are in your spirit, but you have not yet found the unction or the impression of the Holy Spirit to preach them. We have had conversations with people, and then you hear people say something like, somebody gets pregnant, for example, and then she carries her child for two, three months, and then one of those days she's going for a checkup, and then the doctors tell her, you know, this child died six days ago, three days ago, four days ago. They don't have a pulse. The heart is not beating. And so they weep. They pray. They do whatever it is. Eventually, they lose that life. And then people come around them in consolation and they tell them, you know, God knows what's perfect or good for us. And uh, nothing can happen except the Lord accept it or will it. So... It's wiser than us. There's a reason why he took this child early. You did not have an opportunity to see them. Perhaps maybe they are going to be different people. ETC, ETC. And so this person is pushed into a place of accepting that there is a will and purpose of God in the death of that child. And they'll tell it to another person. And it can become a doctrine in certain ministries. That whoever loses a child, it was the will of God. The people who are dying younger, 20, 30, 40, who say no. It was the will of God for this person to die, for he knew how many years he needed to have on the earth and how long God needed to use them. And if God is done with using them at this time, then it is okay. If they can go out to heaven, you see. And some, when they use that example, they point back to Jesus. Jesus died at 33. So you see, he had finished the purposes of God. He had finished the purposes of God. They use a unique experience in human history and build a monument and doctrine around it to tell men that it is okay for somebody to die early. You see? Somebody goes into a business deal and uh, fails somewhere in the middle and they say, yeah, it was the will of God. If it was not the will of God, if it was not the will of God for me to enter this business, surely it would show. And if it is the will of God for me to enter this business, surely it will show. But when I see that this business has failed, it means it was not the will of God. You see? This is not the will of God. If it was the will of God, it would surely work, prosper. Because God cannot fail to fulfill his purposes. So they say. We have people who are undergoing divorce. And then they say, oh, you know, it was not the will of God for us to even get married in the first place. For some, it's true. But for some, it's not. Because when you analyze the evidence and the principles of biblical interpretation, you realize that some of them, the devil is actually robbing their relationship. And they're saying, if it is the will of God, he will return. If it's not the will of God, yeah, he will not return. So it's okay. They accept that. See, people have accepted wrong jobs. People have accepted inferior ranks. People have accepted to settle for less or mediocrity. People have accepted failure. People have accepted shame. People have accepted pain. People have accepted disease. People have accepted low estate. People have accepted. They have accepted because it is the will of God. Otherwise, if it was not the will of God, then this should have happened. But if it's the will of God, then this is what should happen. Because it's the will of God. Nothing can happen without his control or his will. He knows. You see? You see, sometimes as an apostle, I get a challenge when I'm speaking to the general 
congregation because among us, there are mature people who are able to eat so much. And there are also people who are not yet able to consume certain things. So I find that sometimes I wish that I had a sort of master class to be able to teach certain things that the average Christian might not be able to understand, but are important for the Christian who has matured and is thirsty for a deeper place in God, not just a lasting. Because even that one which is young would say, no, I'm thirsty for God. But it's relative. Thirst is relative. Understanding is relative, depending on where you are. But you see, one of those days I'm praying for the grace to be able to help us understand the laws that govern predestination. The future is not fixed. The future is not fixed. It's not in the ways of God to fix the future. The days ahead of our lives are not predetermined. We are predetermined, but the future is not predetermined. Separate the purposes of God, his will for mankind, and the events that come into the world. Because sometimes, even when God has purpose to think, it can be changed by a man. It can be changed by a man. In the scriptures, we see a young prophet who God has sent for a mission. He's a mandate placed on his life. And God tells him, do not enter any house. Do not eat anything from anybody. Go straight as I've sent you. He finds an old prophet. An old prophet stops him in 1 Kings, I believe 13. And then he says, no, come to my house. I'm also a prophet. He goes into the house of that man to eat bread and drink water, which God had told him not to. And the scriptures tell us that very prophet that invited him gets a vision and God has judged this young man and he has died. It was not the will of God for that young man to die in that old prophet's house. The purpose of God was to fulfill the prophetic calling on that young man's life. He had a mandate and an assignment, but he went off the course. It was not the will of God to split Israel through Solomon. No. But the Bible says Solomon forsook the God of his father and married different women, Edomites and the rest of them, the Zidonians, the Hittites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and with them came different gods. And then he forsook the God of his father and eventually judgment comes on that house and that's how Israel is split. God had not intended it. But here it is, that because God has not intended it, it does not mean that he cannot tell that it will happen. It doesn't surprise him. But even though it does not surprise him, it is not fixed. Future is not fixed. His purposes and his will towards us are given. But we have the choice. For example, the Bible says he wills that all men be saved and that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't it? So he wants everybody to get born again. But is everybody born again? Now, so can you say that the people who are not born again, actually it wasn't the will of God for them to be born again. You cannot say that, you see. Once we understand the laws that govern predestination, then there are things we cannot say. We cannot say that because God knew you would lose that child, therefore it was his will for you to lose that child. The future is not fixed. It can change. It can be changed. For if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and repent and be converted, the Bible says, I should turn, forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. But what if they refuse? The land won't heal. They mean that God does not will or purpose to heal the land, but the will of man can change the future. The will of man can redefine a destiny. The people who God told them, this is the man for you to marry, and they went for another person. You see? This is the job for you to do, and they went for another. This is the ministry for you to go to, and they went to another. You know? God does not twist you to say that by force. Or that it's the will of God for you to go to that place. It doesn't surprise him. It doesn't shock him because he's all-knowing. But that they mean that because he is all-knowing, therefore the future is fixed. Those are two different things. We should understand that very clearly. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so now, in having a conversation on this, we want to know the mind of God, the ways of God, the ways of God. For Israel knew the works of God, but knew not the ways of God. But the Bible says in Psalms 103 that he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. So they stay with the acts. Moses knows the ways. It's important for us to know the ways of God, the way he thinks, the way he 
operates. Because when you do, you learn to live a victorious life in Christ. Let me give us an example. In Isaiah, the 66th chapter, he asks a question, verses 9. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? He says, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith the Lord? Shall I bring to birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shall I shut the womb, saith the Lord? If you read that in the message version, verses 9, to help some of us, do I open the womb and not deliver the baby? Do I, the one who delivers the babies, shut the womb? He's saying, can I allow a woman to become pregnant and she does not give birth to a child? Am I the one who allows a woman to become pregnant and she does not give birth? Or am I the one who gives women wombs? The God who gives women wombs. Am I the same God who shuts them? Listen, if you have understood this and you're buried, you are going to conceive. If you have understood this. Now, barrenness is also spiritual. And barrenness is not one dimensional of a physical womb. Some people are barren in the womb of ministry. Some people are barren in the womb of business. Some people are barren in the womb of career. Some people are barren in the womb of marital destiny. Some are barren in many ways. Many, many ways. But God is asking you a question. You think I'm so stupid to give you a womb and give you breasts and not allow you to conceive a child? He's asking. Oh, do you think I'm so dumb to allow you to conceive and open your womb and then take your child at a young age? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Now, this disqualifies many, many, many doctrines in the church today. And this could put us, some of us in danger. But that's okay. That's very okay. Because when people don't know the ways of God, he continues to say, Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, because in this picture, Jerusalem is a woman. All ye that love her, rejoice for the joy with her, all ye that mourn for her. In other words, once this revelation has come to your spirit, there is no reason for you to weep for Jerusalem because of her barrenness. Because now that you know that I'm not the one who shut her womb, but I gave her a womb. Please understand what I'm saying. I'm not the one who shut her womb, yet I gave her a womb. By the time I gave her a womb, that womb was supposed to carry something. Ah, you see why you're saying hallelujah? You're rejoicing with Jerusalem and you're glad with her, all of you that love her, for the joy that you carry is out of the revelation that God could not have given Jerusalem a womb without a purpose of giving her a child. He would not have gotten you that job without the purpose of growing you at that job. He would not have gotten you that man for him to divorce you and your marriage to fail. He would not have given you that ministry for it to grow at one point and then one day the enemy comes and takes it away. He would not have gotten you saved such that at the end of the day you fall one day and go to hell. He would not have given you legs, hands, fingers to function fully as a man and then one day you're not able to do with all God has given you. He could not have given you a body part that should not be working. He could not have given you a heart that the devil then would put in a hole and you're struggling with a heart issue. No. He could not have given you an imperfect womb. He could not have given you an imperfect kidney. He could not have given you an imperfect intestine. He could not have given you an imperfect ear. He could not have given you an imperfect color. He could not have given you an imperfect height. He could not have given you an imperfect school. He could not have taken you to an imperfect university. He could not have given you an imperfect child. That is not God! Somebody shout amen. amen! Now that you know it's not him, start rejoicing. Because the Bible says, all good and perfect gifts are from God, the Father of all lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither is there a shadow of turning. He does not turn on you. Man can turn on you, but God cannot turn on you. He cannot give you a child and then creep. Now, ah, 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 ah. Glory to God. All, every good and every perfect gift is from above. 
Some of you have accepted them wrong and have taken them to say in their wrongness they're perfect. Uh Uh-uh. You don't know the mind of God. You don't know the mind of God. I wish the church understood this. You know, it was okay for this child to be born this way. You know, that the glory of God will be revealed. So is it? Is it? Okay, let's go to the example of how the glory of God was revealed in a crippled man. What happened? He walked. That's glory revealed. Yeah, that's glory revealed. The Bible says the people saw him walking and they praised God. That's what the Bible says, Acts 3.9. The people saw him walking and they praised God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So where is the praise from? Where is the praise from? The praise is in the healing and deliverance of that man. The praise is not in the things he's able to do. Crippled. Ay, ay, ay. Ay, 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 Now that's hard. But you see, this is another generation. We are ready to believe God. We are ready to take him for his word and not settle for anything less. It doesn't matter whether science can't support it. It doesn't matter whether human interpretation cannot support it. The moment the word of God says that this is so, we don't go otherwise. That is why I prophesy upon your life that you're not settling for less. I said you're not settling for less. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody gets glaucoma. You've heard the testimony. And they tell her that your eyes will never heal because glaucoma is incurable. She refused it. And said how can it not be cured? God never created me to be blind. Did he give me eyes for them not to see? So she said uh uh-uh. She goes back to the same doctor twice. And they cannot find the glaucoma. What is that called? The truth that makes us free. It's called the truth. It's called the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. For you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Somebody shout hallelujah. We have had experience of people who are told, you know, you have stage 4 cancer. It's not curable by anything. And then they come and they've lost all hope. And then you lay hands on the person and say, we're taking it back in Jesus' name. And the person comes back and tells you, Apostle, there's no cancer in my body. Why? Because we chose to believe the way of God. He said, I am that way. Not science. He says, I am that way. Not biology. He said, I am that way. Not the systems of this world. He says, I am that way. That truth and that life. And nobody can connect to this thing except through me. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he says, can you think for a moment that I can allow you to go into that job and then they treat you like nothing? No, it has to turn. Go back to even the biblical stories. Yeah, okay, Joseph went in Potiphar's house and, you know, they accused him wrongly and then they put him in prison. Did he end in prison? No. Every biblical story has a victory that goes beyond what a man can... Are you going to start another way of God and reinvent the will? You're not. Because God from the beginning of human life, he has showed us his will so perfect. He has showed us his will so perfect. He did not say any gift. And anything that comes as a gift is from him. But he says, if I am to give you, I give you good. If I am to give you, I give you the best. Because if I, an earthly parent, gives the best to my child... How much more the Heavenly Father? Why would we think that he created you a certain way for his glory? You understand what I'm saying? And we wait for that glory and we don't see it. That now the glory is in how you're able to perform in that inadequacy, in that inefficiency. Uh, 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 uh. You don't understand God yet. You don't understand God. Because it's important. Why? If you don't get this, you will pray the wrong way. Some people, they are praying the prayer of, (laughs) give me the grace. To bear the things I cannot change. (laughs) The future is not fixed. Why is somebody asking for the serenity? For them to bear the things they cannot change. They're telling people, you know, you might not be able to get this thing out of your body. So ask God for the serenity. Ah, but you see, even Paul said, three times he prayed for something to come out of his body. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I tell this generation that... Paul laid that foundation 
and also told us what caused it. He said, and to keep me from getting puffed up because of the abundance of revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. So Paul is telling us, don't be so proud when revelation comes. That thorn won't come in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? So why don't we learn from Paul and stay humble with revelation? Like I said once, some people don't even have revelation, but they think that they have a thorn. They don't have enough to be calmed down by God. <laughs> Only the mature have understood this. Somebody shout hallelujah. Paul is not saying that this is a standard in church, that this is something you're supposed or you're going to live with because the grace of God is available. Listen, there is nothing you cannot change. There is nothing you cannot change. Otherwise, God would contradict his word to say whatsoever he asks when you pray. It shall be given. He would be contradicting himself. Why would he say whatsoever he ask when you pray? Whatsoever you ask. Why then does he put exceptions? If there are exceptions on that rule, so how can we then believe Mark eleven twenty four? 24? Why did he write it? You see what I'm saying? Why did he write it when there were exceptions? You see what I'm saying? If he says whatsoever, okay, if he wrote that, Mark eleven twenty four 24 exists in scripture, why do you go in the scripture of exception and stand there? Why don't you come this side? Why don't you come to Mark eleven twenty four and fight from there and hold him there? Are you hearing me? And say, God, eh? me, I'm on Mark eleven twenty four. This is where I'm at. Because, yeah, if the exceptions, let somebody accept that. But for me, I'm on Mark eleven twenty four. This is where I'm at. Therefore, you said that whosoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. As long as it's in the will of your truth. Because I can stick on Mark eleven twenty four. And somebody can stick on Mark eleven twenty four and ask for another person's wife or husband. Uh -uh, I'm not talking about that madness. Leave us alone. Are you hearing me? I'm talking about you said that by your stripes we were healed. It's in your will for us that we are healed. Why should I be sick? Refuse that sickness. That's called spiritual warfare. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, if your issue is that you probably fell into some sort of affliction because of a certain indifference, then repent on it. And after repenting on it, go back to God and say, but this one I have repented. Why are we still talking about it? He says it's faithful and just to forgive all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just faithful. If we confess them, right? So confess and say, okay, Father, in my flesh, I've seen some that has gone so wayward. I think this was a problem. I repent on that. I'm not supposed to be that. I have sorrow on that. I'm not that kind of person. Now, forgiveness yeah. is there. Now, yeah. forgiveness is there. Why are we still dealing with the thorn? So, the only possibility is if you keep in your sin. So maybe the man of God, even with the thorn, he kept his buff. You understand? He kept his exaltation above measure. Perhaps he fought with two things at a go. But again, when you read the word there, flesh, S-A-R-X, the Greek word, sucks, it doesn't necessarily mean physical body only. It could actually mean emotional. Flesh, even emotional. Perhaps he had an emotional issue. Somebody, you know, hurt him. He had hurt his feelings. That could also mean thorn in the flesh. <laughs> that could also mean thorn in the flesh. So it's not just limited to your pain. I see people who are carrying diseases they're not supposed to carry, and they're saying, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. If it is, then there has to be evidence. We shouldn't see you crying. Ah, you have grace. Are you hearing me? We shouldn't see you go back up, God, heal me. You have grace. Why should you even ask for healing when he has told you the grace available for you is to keep that disease? God, God, we need to go back and examine these things and understand what God exactly is telling us. Because like I've taught before, I've seen people who have accepted less and even destroyed themselves. There is no evidence that Paul suffered of this thing until the end of his life. At least there is no evidence. I can also stand on that and say he gave a certain period of his life in existence, but we cannot say that he died with that. Oh, some people say theologians, maybe he had an eye issue. Yeah, all of that is true, but none of them can justify that to say that that thorn stayed until Paul died. So it was a moment of period in time of his life. This was an account of a certain time in his life, not a lifetime. 
Please let us understand that. Not a lifetime of his existence. Perhaps the man turned this thing around, became more humble, and healing came. But he's giving you an account of a certain time period. Are you hearing me? Yes, God has told us that there are afflictions that can come for a moment. Hey, he says for you, light afflictions, which are but for a moment. Yes, he says they cannot be compared because they work for us a more exceeding eternal weight of glory. So it's possible to have a momentary attack, but I mean that you build a doctrine around that to say that you're going to live in that sickness, that trouble, that pain for the rest of your life. Seems as though, for me, God intended that everybody that I bet is bad. It seems as though some of you are accepting things that God has no business over. I'm going to talk about the will of God, eh? for I'm not the one who brought this. So I cannot be the one to take it away. I'm not talking about you having boyfriends and girlfriends. Please, God is not in the covenant of dating. God is not in the dating covenant. You first make your vows and say, God, you gave me this man. You knew him very well. I followed your principles. You say, do not unequally yoke with an unbeliever. The man is born again. I did not break any principle. Why is he giving me headache? And then God will change. But you married a guy who is not even born again. And you claim God told you. And then on top of that, he has gone against his will and purposes. And then you're here. Fire, force, devil. Leave him. How? So let's use wisdom in this as well. But you see, there are things that are very clear. You said that I should not unequally yoke with an unbeliever. This man is born again. Is this and that tick? So, what did I break? I followed your principle. It's honorable that you could have taken anything. But you chose somebody who is in line with the will of God. Are you hearing me? Of course, not all that are born again are equally yoking because some people have a definition of born again that quite does not match our scripture. But then it's again back to you to know the truth about what it means to be born again. Because somebody can lie to you and say that I'm born again and they are not. If they were lying, that's your fault. Go back, repent. Are you hearing me? And ask God for his mind concerning your destiny. That's okay. Somebody shout hallelujah. But you see, if you have done all that is required scripturally, then there has to be a way for you to plead your cause before God and claim your right over something. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because scripture, he said, you try me on my word. He has given you the right to provoke him on his word. If he said that you are this, he said it. In him, there is no shadow of turning. He cannot say that I healed you, but in your case, I'm not going to heal you even though I healed. That's hypocrisy. God is not a hypocrite. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he's telling the church here, Jerusalem went through that. And she went through a spell of barrenness. And it was as though they started to assume that it was the will of God for them to go through that. And he's saying, look, you got this all wrong. I'm not the one who made this. I'm not the one who brought this barrenness on you. I could not have given you a womb that should not carry a child. That's not me. That's another thing. You should understand who is dealing with you. Now that you know it's not me, you should even start rejoicing. Because it means you have a chance to plead your cause with me. And I will hear you. Because I'll be on your side. I won't be on the other side. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Saith the Lord. So he tells us, now rejoice you with Jerusalem. We're glad for her because we love her and we joy with her instead of mourning. And he tells now us, verses 11, do that, rejoice with her, listen, that she may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations. That you may be satisfied, that you may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations. That means that there is a life that comes in the consolation to Jerusalem, that it is not the will of God. Jerusalem can be your wife's womb. Jerusalem can be your business. Jerusalem can be your ministry. Jerusalem can be your education. Jerusalem can be anything in this instance, okay? It's a typification, a miniature picture, the greater one, like Christ is to the church, husband and wife. So the Bible allows us to walk in that kind of frequency. Now, listen, he's saying, rejoice with her, be glad that you may suck and be satisfied. So the sucking and being satisfied with the breasts of her consolation 
is based firstly on you who has understood that it was not the will of God for her to be barren, for you to be barren, for your business to fail, for your ministry to fail. And then because you know it's not his will, you start rejoicing because you know he's on your side in this. And that kind of consolation comes with a certain life. For it is important for you to suck the breast of that consolation. It is important for you to be satisfied with that consolation. That ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Because once those consolation comes, then comes the glory that should be revealed for that barren Jerusalem. And in this instance, she'll bear child. Oh, let me help us understand. If you have now understood that it was not the will of God for you to be barren physically, God is saying, start laughing, screaming, jumping, because it's an obvious sign that he's on your side. He's not on the side of the devil. For God cannot be on your side and you worry whether you will win. That's the guarantee. And that's a consolation. And he says it's important for that consolation to come to your spirit. But the only way that consolation should come to your spirit is if you start joying instead of mourning. If you don't learn to scream and shout and celebrate God for what he's going to do in the time when you are under testation, because you have come to the revelation that it's not his will that you're going through that, then there is, without that consolation, if you just continue mourning and then you go to God praying, oh God help me please, and then you go weeping and lamenting before God, he's saying, you see, you're frustrating the consolations that are necessary for you. And without those consolations, I cannot reveal my glory, which is your deliverance. Who has understood it? Yes. So for you to allow me to do what must be done, I need a certain joy in your spirit because that joy is the sign that you are consoled in my truth. And that consolation is important for me because it shows me that you believe me. You don't doubt me. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he says, it's important for us, but you see, follow the order. The consolations don't precede the joy. The joy precedes the consolations. That means, as I'm preaching right now, some of you are getting encouraged. But God is saying, it's not the encouragement that should make you shout. No. Shout even before the encouragement. The fact that you have understood that God is on your side. Start dancing. Are you hearing me? And as you start dancing, the consolation will come. And if I can see that consolation, the sign of that consolation will be the rest that will come in your spirit. Will be the peace that will engulf your soul. When you have that peace, when you have that joy, when you have that comfort, when you have that rest, when you're not going to lose sleep again because of this, when you're not going to lose appetite because of this, when you're not going to weep again because of this, he says, aha, now this is a consolation. If I can have that consolation, then we shall have that glory that you believe. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, for thus said the Lord, behold, I will extend the peace to her. You see? I will extend peace to her like a river. Why? Because of the consolation. Are you hearing me? And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. So which precedes the peace comes before the glory. Somebody shout hallelujah. 60 fold rest and peace. Somebody shout hallelujah. 130 fold of believing. Uh -uh. That was in the joy. The joy was the sign of that faith. The 60 fold is in the realm of that rest. Somebody shout hallelujah. And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then, he says, shall ye suck. He says, you shall be born upon her sides and be dangled upon her children because now it's evident she has the children. It's not the will of God for you to fail. Somebody shout hallelujah. And he says, and as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. He says, when you see this, when you see this, he says, your heart shall rejoice. Now, that rejoicing is not the first one. The first one was, I have to be happy and rejoice because I believe what God has said. That first one, actually, in most cases, does not come from here. Hey, you're trying to push yourself to believe. Not every laughter in that point at that time is easy. Yeah. But it begins with that, ha, 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 ha. I refuse, <laughs> I refuse, and then the consolation comes, and then things start to turn, and when things start to turn, another level of rejoicing comes, this is the one I'm talking about, this one is because of the miracle, he says you shall rejoice, 
and your bones shall flourish like a herb and the hand of the Lord shall be known by his servants and his indignation towards his enemies. That means it shall be so clear. The glory of God shall be so on you. Are you hearing me? The answers of God shall be working on your life and his indignation shall be clear on the enemy. If you read that from the Amplified, he says, when you see this, your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the green and tender grass, and the powerful hand of the Lord shall be revealed and known to be with you. That means the powerful hand of God shall be revealed. Then it was there, but it was not revealed. But now the powerful hand of God shall be revealed and known to be with you. But his indignation shall be shown against the enemies that have set themselves against you. It shall be evident that God is with you, not with them. It shall be known that God is with you. It shall be revealed that God is with you. The scriptures are clear if you have read very clearly. In Isaiah 37 verses 3, the Bible says when it speaks of Hezekiah, he calls it a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy because the children are come to birth, but there is no strength. He says it's blasphemous. It's an abuse of God's glory for you to fail. When is the one who began that work? So now I want you to understand why his zeal is important in making sure that you win because he began it. It's like you saying, let me build something, and then you build something, and then you see that thing failing. How do you just look back and say, yeah, I don't care, I'll build another. Listen, this man we're talking about is created in the image and likeness of God. It is a frustration of revelation for his purpose not to be revealed in that thing which he has created. And mostly, if that thing is in his image and likeness. He speaks of Ephraim as an unwise child. For he tarries longer where they bring forth children. There's no wisdom in that. He questions the wisdom of a person who tarries long when he's supposed to be bringing forth. So he questions the wisdom, your wisdom. It is blasphemous to God. It is trouble to the realm of the spirit. It is unbecoming. It is sinful. It is a rebuke. It's rebuking. Because it's not the way of God for you to struggle through something that God has ordained for you to have a smooth sail. That is where you will get trouble in your marriage. And go lock yourself up in that room and start dancing alone. Are you hearing me? And they'll find you and say, how is your marriage? And you say, the best it has ever been. Not because there are probably no challenges, but because you have understood that God is on your side in spite and that this joy is important in that godly consolation necessary for God to operate and reveal his glory through you. And as this continues, things definitely will start changing and turning for your good and then you will rejoice, rejoice. Joy, rejoice. This second one is as a proof of God's revelation that his powerful hand is on the journey of your marriage. Now, put business, put career, put ministry. All of these things are the same. This is how we fight. Somebody shout hallelujah, glory to God. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing. <laughs> being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. This is the confidence. When we had started for now, a certain prophet said, I speak as a prophet. I give that young man three years. So one person came and said, hmm, Apostle, they've given you three years. I clap my hands and say, Glory to God! Hallelujah! I scream and said, What's going on? See, they've given me three years. What do you expect? Who is on my side? Who is on my side? So, somebody has given God three years. What do you do? You don't say, I can't. No, no. I didn't even have time to cancel that. Because I knew who called me. Are you hearing me? I don't know where they are now. Because the three years are done and I'm still preaching. I'm still preaching the gospel. I don't know where they are, but I know where I'm at. Somebody shout hallelujah. And they know where I'm at. 
Glory to God. May you outlive every persecution. May you outlive every false accusation. You will outlive it actually. You will outlive it. You will outlive every naysayer. You will outlive everybody who said, what is she doing? What is he doing in that ministry? Their marriage will fail. You will outlive their words. You will outlive their words. You will outlive their words. And one day the Bible says you will turn left and right and look for those that sought your life and you will not be able to see one of them. Somebody shout hallelujah. Get to the point where somebody can give you the biggest threat and then you start dancing on yourself. Then say, why are you dancing? Say, somebody said that I'm not going to make it next week. Hallelujah, glory to God. And they say, why are you dancing? No, because they said that I'm not going to make it next week. Yet I know that he that began a good work in me shall see to accomplishment to the day of Christ. Somebody said that I'll die next year. Let me tell them that the scripture says that with long life he will satisfy me and reveal his salvation. Glory to God. Somebody said that my marriage will not work. Let them watch it working. Let them see it go far. Somebody said that my child will not go to school. Let me start dancing because they don't know what they just said. He said the children shall be taught of God and their peace shall be many. They shall be for signs and they shall be for wonders. That is not the word of God. That is the word of man. And I will leave to see the vindication of God. One day, they will look back and say, hey, we made a mistake. We made a mistake. People are about to come to you soon. I'm telling you. They're going to come kneeling. They're going to come carrying things to say, we are sorry, brother. We're sorry, sister. We didn't see this. We didn't understand this. Why? Because you know how to fight. Don't fight them back. Learn to rejoice. For Apostle Grace, you think, I separated you from your mother's womb to die under the knife of a tabloid? Under the opinion of religion? No. Under the mind of an envious person? Some of you should understand how the ways of God work. You mean he brought you this far, kept you through university, got you a husband, for you to die of cancer before you see your children? Uh Uh-uh. 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 You start dancing. You start joying in God. You do everything happy people do. And then people look at you and say, but there is nothing that warrants this brother to be happy. Why is he happy? Why is she dancing? Tell him, look, I know who I am. I know who called me. I know what is in my life. Listen, this has nothing to do with what you're paid at your job. It has nothing to do with what they think about you. It has nothing to do with those who hired you and what they say behind you. It has no bearing. It has no bearing. It has no bearing. Have you ever gone through something that seemed to so badly disqualify you and then you appeared to perhaps need the justification and vindication of certain individuals and you don't receive that justification of vindication, who you think you badly need to justify or vindicate you. And then you go through that storm. And then one day, two, three, four, five years later, the same people whose vindication you needed come to their knees before you and their position in life is not even sufficient enough to vindicate you at all at that point. And then they come to you for help. And God tells you, look, You needed this fellow two years ago, but now he's the one looking for you. You needed this woman three years ago, but now he's the one looking for you. And if they don't look for you, they're the ones in trouble because they need you anyway. Somebody shout hallelujah. Have you ever admired a place so great in life? And then one day God takes you beyond that place. And then you look back and say, hey, I was dumb. Like, why would I even think that I needed that car job? That thing that I thought was so important. Now God has opened your eyes to realize, uh uh-uh, my hand on you was more powerful than your car desire at that particular point. And I just needed you to understand my mind and way of function and operation so that you would get to the place where I want you to be. I have seen those things every day of my life. And those things have taught me that a man right now in the world 
might assume you need them. But one day things will turn and they will need you. But when they turn and they need you, show God that you're mature enough to help them. Because it's the only way the heavens will clap and say, you are the right person for this job. You are the right person for this position. Don't say, I'm not going to help you. You see, you refused to help me last time. God will be like, do you know there's a portion of scripture that says, even if your enemy is in trouble, he says, don't rejoice. It's Proverbs 34. He says, rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. He says, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbleth. Least, he says, the Lord see it and it displeases him and it turns away his wrath from him. That's why when God is punishing somebody who treated you so badly, even when you're jumping inside, say sorry. <laughs> because if you start rejoicing, eh, they're in trouble, God can look at you and say, and then release this guy. Are you hearing me? <laughs> Read it in the message version. He says, that do not laugh when your enemy falls. Don't crow over his collapse. He says, God might see it and become very provoked and then take pity on his plight. God can also feel sorry for the guy who treated you badly. Are you hearing me? So when they're in trouble, don't say, aha, we told them. You know, one time I saw a man who was being attacked in the ministry and then the guy who attacked him got into trouble. And then this man put a praise service at his church and started dancing because his enemy had been defeated. And I said, hmm, God will take this guy off the hook very soon. The enemy, he'll release him very soon. Are you hearing me? Because God also does not glory in the punishment of this man because also God didn't bring it on him. The man brought it on himself. He's still on the side of the salvation of this man. If there is any anyway, this man would repent. God would want to restore him too. That's why we pray for our enemies. Even when they're in trouble, we don't say, hey, didn't I tell you? You understand? I know preachers are like that. Didn't I tell you? No, no. God loves all of you, you and that person. Yeah. He wills that man be saved, but that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. That's for those of you who know how to dance. So this dancing is not the pain of your enemies. And when God has given you the breakthrough, the rejoicing again is not in their failure. The rejoicing is in that God has seen you through. Rejoice on what he has done for you and let him deal with the other individual. It's his business. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, if you have understood this, you're already free. You are already free. To know that God is on your side, you are already free. You're going to jump, scream, do whatever you want to do to celebrate what God has done in your life. I'm going to give you only 15 seconds starting now. consolation you're drinking from now the glory of God is being revealed God is fixing your marriage he's fixing your womb he's fixing your ministry he's getting that virus all out of that body in the mighty name of Jesus he's healing your heart your kidneys are getting restored right now this very moment thank you thank you thank you father we thank you I see miracles are happening right this very hour incurable diseases are leaving people's bodies right now. God is turning impossible situations in your work. He's turning impossible situations in your ministry. He is taking reproach off somebody's life. For whatever you have suffered, God is multiplying for any loss that you have lost. And very soon, it shall be revealed to any man that the hand of God is on your life and that the indignation of God 
is on all that have set themselves against you, his chosen vessel. Father, we thank you. We receive that word in the mighty name of Jesus. Give the Lord a memorable praise. Come on. Come on. I see barren women that are going to conceive before the end of this year. Before the end of this year, you're going to conceive. A guy came to me some months ago and told me that he went to the doctor with his wife and they did a test. And they told him that he has zero sperm count. He did several tests tried several treatments, local and international, and they told him, you have zero sperm count. He walked to me, and I told him, don't waste your time in that kind of thing, in that kind of treatment. Children are inheritance from the Lord. And I told him, your wife is going to conceive. He had once someone here and told his wife, go and check and she was found with child God is going to reverse things he's going to reverse doctors reports in Jesus mighty name what the doctor said is impossible is going to become possible it's done it's done it's done if you have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. Just repeat these words after me. Because he died for you, that you would have this life. There is no name given among men wherewith they're saved. That name is the name of Jesus. He said that the sound of that name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He shed his blood that you might live. So the best gift you can give you is to receive him as you are as you are as you are he doesn't want you to first perfect yourself just speak these words right now and say father i thank you for the gift of jesus christ tonight i receive him as my personal lord and savior i'm born again the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero ministries international for more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.